Oh, since the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, we've been pursuing a theme of um, unity. And of course, as the calendar year begins, we are going to shift gear along the same path of unity, but in a diff from a different perspective. Because as we steer the Passover, you know, um, ahead of see the Passover coming up, we have to think of that sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he made for all of us. And the big event for us is the fact that, and you've heard me say, say this from time to time, that we all have an invitation to attend a wedding, the marriage supper. There are human weddings, the theme that we are, in fact, the theme that we are pursuing for the next, up to the time of the Passover, will be marriage and the family. Because God is a family. Jesus Christ is coming back to marry his bride, the church. And he's coming to marry a church that should be united. A church that should be prepared because he's warning us to watch and pray. And he'll also be returning to convene that wedding ceremony. Some of us are married, some are not. But God has given us marriage as an institution that patterns of exactly what his son will be doing when he returns to the earth. And so he has given us marriage to build on as part of the preparations, as simple as you see that. So that's along those lines, that's how we are going to pursue this theme of marriage and family. Jesus Christ asked a very significant question in Luke 8, 18, 8. And the question he asked is, when the Son of Man returns... Will he find faith on the earth? Who was he talking to? Not unconverted people, because unconverted people don't have any faith as such. They have faith, yes. But he was addressing the church. Will he find that among the bride? Because remember, he's going to start a family. And we see the pattern clearly displayed with father, son, the son marrying the bride, and we are the children. You can't get it clearer than that. But he's concerned about the bride he's coming to marry, or else he would never ask that question whether he would find faith among his people. He wants a faithful bride, not that not one that he wants to write a bill of divorce like he had given to Israel and treacherous Judah. He wants a faithful bride. We are part of this bride. We are members of this family. So here is now the time as we reflect on his sacrifice when we must take a stock of what we are, who we are. Are we going to contribute to this preparation for the, that this bride should be in at all times, not only this time of the year, 
but all times on that alert. So when he comes, we could have said, oh yes, I was part of that preparation for that bride to be ready. You know how it goes when a wedding, when we're going to marry as human beings. Oh, the state of preparation. I have to get this. The ring ready, the food ready, the banquet hall ready, the bridesmaid, the bridegroom team, and the best man, and the flowers girl, and you know what it's all about to prepare for a wedding. It can become a headache. Sleepless nights, stress, and so on. You can look at it as we go through our individual challenges in, in, in this life. In the church, if you want to put it that way. Because the church has challenges too. The church is not an organism where you come and, oh boy, everything is 100% sparkling and perfect. As some people expect. Sometimes you come in the church, whew, for some people, it better they stay outside. Because the church seems to have more problems than outside of society. And these are some realities that we, are, we have to face. But for us, though, those who have a responsibility to take charge and say, I have a role in the body of Christ and I must play that role. Whatever, whatever gifts and blessings God has bestowed on me, I must use it for the edification of the bride that should be prepared for his return. We can go back to the fall of humanity in Eden. And we can see that God from that time, as part of his plan, because remember God is not something that he just dreamed up yesterday. This is all part of a plan. But he had his eyes on his bride from as early as Eden. Because that is where he started his first family. Man and woman. Children. And he advised more children to build on that. So he established the first marriage. This is as far as it goes back from a humanitarian point of view. He had his eyes set on his bride from that time. So he set up this institution called the first marriage. So that's why all the camouflage today about marriage this and man want to create their own marriage this and this is where it all started. You can't get around this. Man and woman. Father, son, bride and the children. But what went down in Eden was typical of what would come later among families of the earth. Because through disobedience and through a test, we read about the failure of the first family. Fail miserable because disobey God. God says, don't do that. But the opportunity was there for them to do otherwise. Because God makes us free moral agents. Choice. All of us have choice. You choose right from wrong, good and evil. God not going to force anybody to do right or wrong. 
God not gonna force anybody to come into church. Nobody's forced anybody to come into church. Free moral agents, that's what we are. We choose what is right, we choose what is wrong. But on top of that, he gives us an advice. He says, choose life, choose what is good. But after the failure, through his plan in Genesis 12, 3, we see that he made another promise because of one man, Abraham, the faithful, the faithful, the faithful one who was willing to go away beyond what he was called to do, first get up out of this country and move forward to some other place and then later on we see how the entire family lineage was called to face different tests and so he made a promise to Abraham that through your seed, your children, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That was a promise for the present and for the future. Yet to be claimed, physical in nature, but it also had spiritual connotations. So we know of the story in Egypt, they went to captivity in Egypt and so on, and there for a time they forgot who God was. God still made a covenant with them, I'm going to do this for you because your father was so faithful. So he protected them like a, like how you know a mother would protect a child. You have the last, you have the last mouthful of food, a mother would want to give a child that to ensure that they survive. So he had that protective wing with them through the wilderness journey, prov the provisions that he made, although they grumbled and they, they complain, and you know, you know, you meet some people that just can't stop complaining. The more they get, the more they want. They just keep complaining, complaining. That's what that's what Israel was. You see all the, the miracles that God had or allowed them to witness. You can imagine you're in this wilderness and you know God's presence is there. You look up and you see, you see a fire at night and during the day you see a, a pillar of cloud and you know that's God's presence. They were so privileged. So privileged. But yet they keep complaining and complaining. Never ever satisfied. Rescue them at the Red Sea crossing and all of that stuff, they still complain. And God, of course, His presence was there in an institution known as the, the tabernacle. I mean, that, that, that's another, when you look at what went on in the tabernacle, that was kind of fearful. I mean, when I say fearful, it, 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 it should have given them the, the, a, a sense of awe and a sense of, of, of reverence to know that God's presence was right there. But they couldn't care less. But God was keeping His promise. He was keeping His promise. Never let them out of sight. So by the time they left Egypt and came into the promised land, 
continued to rebel and rebel as if they had no faith in God and taken into captivity and God really had a, God really have a lot of patience with Israel I can say nevertheless we see in the Old Testament that Israel was 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 pictured as a type of bride in several instances in the Bible we can see that in Jeremiah Jeremiah 31 he said he was a husband to Israel but guess what Israel broke the vow the marriage vow if you know how God and we I believe have a degree to know how God takes a vow seriously especially from the Old Testament perspective but Israel became a spiritual adulteress so it came to pass through her casual harlotry that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees Jeremiah 3 9 I tell you in Ezekiel 2 we read I think chapter 16 he called Israel a degenerate harlot these are very strong words right yes. <laughs> you can imagine uh, I come to you Valine and I using this language to you yeah. it will look unchristian right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but God used them and it it, 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 it brings us to it shows a lot of um, a lot of punches packed in this statement because God is really wants us to get a message here how degenerate is your heart says the Lord God seeing you do all these things the deeds of a brazen harlot you erected your shrine at the head of every road and built your high place in every street yet you are you are not like a harlot because you scorned payment you are an adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband men make payments to all harlots but you made your payments to all your lovers and hired them to come to you from all around your harlotry you are the opposite of other women in your harlotry it's gone really bad it's bad to be an harlot but when you go on the opposite side it's another dimension because no one solicited you to be a harlot in that you gave payment but no payment was given to you therefore you are the opposite wow wow I tell you so treacherous and Judah wasn't any better no? <laughs> Judah was no better Jeremiah 3 8 I thought after she has done all these things she will return to me forgiving God here but she did not return and her treacherous sister Judah saw it 
And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went and was a harlot also. Because of the lightness of her harlotry, she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Wow. 31.10 In spite of this, the treacherous Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception. Tried to trick God. <laughs> Doesn't know who she's dealing with. The Lord said to me, Brethren, there's a message in this for us. You know, you just see me reading these scriptures, read between the lines. Because in the, the, the Bible warns us about the deception that is out there. Because if we dress up nice and come to church and talk with everybody and we are like a social butterfly all over the place and we are not right with God, that's not good. That's vain, worshipping God in vain, mocking God. He says, faithless Israel has proven herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. It told them bad, to do her bad. But she's using deception to pretend as if she's more righteous. Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious. See so how merciful God is? That despite all our shortcomings, despite our sin, sinful lives, that he's still ready to embrace us, his children. As long as we have the right attitude. I am gracious, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. I will not be angry forever. In Jeremiah 11.10 he says, They have turned back to the iniquities of their ancestors and refused to hear my words. They have gone after other gods. That's what makes God angry. Going after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my agreement, my covenant, which I made with their fathers. And brethren, that is why I'm one of those people, I'm very intolerant. I'll tell you that. When I hear people talking nonsense about all, all roads lead to the same God and all that foolishness. As long as it's God, it's okay. No. The Bible has no place for that. Isaiah 50, he asked again, Where is the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away? I believe he's given us, all of these have been preserved for the church to read and to see. Because when Christ makes a statement in, in Matthew about the faithfulness that he expects from his New Testament bride at least, that what went down in the past with Israel was a faithless generation, a faithless Israel. Amen. And so we come here every week with a, with a, with a mission 
We go back home you know, to our homes during the week with a mission. And that mission is to build. Amen. Not to tear down. Amen. It's to be a contributor. Yes. Not a distributor. Amen. But to contribute to the body. To ensure that your two cents your two cents goes to the edification of the church. Why? You have an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Just bear that in mind. Because this is where I'm going today. You have an invitation. When somebody invites you to a wedding, you're not going to do everything to pull it down and to sabotage the wedding. You want to build to ensure the couple have a happy and joyful life. Just like how you write up the, the wedding cards and you give you a big money for gifts and all of that. You want to see the progress of that family or that, that, that new couple. Likewise, you come into the church to make sure the church, you play your part in building not tearing down. So Christ, God asks, where is the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away? Or to whom my creditors did sell you? Behold, you were sold for your lawlessness. And for your transgressions, your mother was sent away. Chapter 2, verse 19, Jeremiah, your own wickedness will correct you. And as for your apostasies, they will reprove you. Know therefore and see it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord Yahweh your God. And the dread of me is not in you, declares the Lord of hosts. Some very strong words here. Some very pertinent lessons here for us to learn as we prepare to return as we prepare for the return of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is coming. Another calendar year goes by, it is nearer. Another day goes by, it is nearer. And we don't know when we'll get our demise, we'll face our demise. Going down to a funeral this, this, um, this next week. To Jamaica, and it's a. Uh, I, I don't want to talk about it, but probably I, I, I deserve. I think he he doesn't know what's going on. He's not in heaven looking down to see what's going on, so he doesn't know what's going on. But um, when you have some a friendship going forty years, it's a long time. And for someone who introduced me to the church, it's um, it's kind of heart disheartening. To really think. I always have a fear of death. I told you this over and over. And I remember in 1984, um, Ian was working with the Ministry of Industry and Commerce. And I was serving as the news editor on the news desk for the we had a major newscast in Jamaica. It was a 7.30 news. Everybody watch it. Because that's where you get your... We didn't have cable. We don't have the 500 channel universe. We don't have the phones like you did today. But one channel. So everybody watched that. And he called me. Cannot forget that Friday evening. He said, 
um, the price of chicken is going up. I need to get this on the 7.30 news because chicken is serious thing in Jamaica. <laughs> Everybody is staple. Everybody, every home on a Sunday have chicken meat, yes. rice and peas for dinner. It's part of the culture. And Friday evening, you know, the government was using a little trickery because going into the weekend, some people don't even hear the news, so they want it on Friday evening. So he called me early because, um, you know, he kept the Sabbath, so he didn't want to go into, into um, late evening. So he said to me, he'll bring it down there himself. I said, okay, bring it down. I met him at the gate. I didn't even ask him about this chicken meat price, how much it's going to buy. Because everybody here is to the TV want to know how much it's going to buy. I said to him, Ian, what happens when you die? That was my question. Always fearful. He said to me, come to church next week and we'll talk. I said, church? He said, no. You know I work seven days a week, 24-7. I don't have any time to come to church. And he said, come, come at some point. And from there on, he would, we talked during the week and he would keep reminding me, when you come into church, I always putting it off, always putting it off. Until, I remember one Saturday morning, I was knocked down almost literally by a piece of what you'd call bad cold. Sick like a dog. I couldn't even stand up. Couldn't go to work. I was supposed to work. And I said, you know what? I'm going to church today. And from that day, I stepped in church. I've never looked back. Never looked back. And my question to him was answered in the ensuing weeks. My fear of death that I had disappeared. And he always tell me, he said, Horian, I won't live beyond 40. Because he had a, you know, he had a heart condition. See, he always say he'll die young. But he died at 60. And so, you know, he, he did his bit. But that's the legacy of what I live with now, that that fear of death has been removed because I've come to know Jesus Christ. I've come to realize that I have an invitation in my hand looking to attend that marriage supper. And it's going to be a grand time. And all those who have gone on before us, we're going to meet there. <laughs> Imagine that. It's going to be one big reunion. One. And keep, that is what keeps me going. So in the Old Testament... We see that betrayal of God by Israel, who was so dear to him that, you know, he said, you know, I hate divorce, but I'm going to write you a writ of divorce because you've been treacherous. You've been a betrayal. So we're in the New Testament period now. What's up? Are we the perfect church? Oh, the music is glorious. Everything is nice and fine and dandy. We are good Christians. We are faithful people. We throw tithes and offerings. Is everything okay? 
Are we preparing for the bridegroom? Because we know the story of the, the, um, the foolish virgins and so on. It's a parable, it's packed with meaning. Because in the New Testament, we know as well that there are some graphic pictures, imagery. The optics are everywhere of a conquering king returning to marry his bride. Has there been any change from the time of Israel? Do we have a perfect body? We read through the episodes and the, and the books in the New Testament. What are we seeing from the, the lessons of the, 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 the primitive church? Was everything nice and dandy? What's happening in the last days? I turned on my TV, just not TV, I was, I don't watch TV more than so anymore, but I remember where I saw it. Might have been Facebook. Just last week, where the, in this church, everybody was laughing. Hysterically. They just kept laughing, 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 laughing. Because something happened and everybody was laughing. The pastor laughing, the members laughing. They were falling down in the hazel and they're laughing and they're laughing. And then someone came up and said, you know, this was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I said, well, is this the church? What is important to people? The authentic word of God or, you know, this euphoria that we see parading as God's manifestation is how, how does God look at that we have to realize that we have a relationship with God as we should have relationship with wife and husband vice versa that there should be a, a, a question of trust there should be a question of honesty that there should be a question of um, obligation but there also has to be a level of truth. Because if we're going to deal with the word of God, then that comes into question. Truth. The church is described, the bride is described in the, in the New Testament as should be the guardian or a pillar of truth. We know that Christ himself had some very serious concern about the church in Asia Minor, seven of them. And there are a lot of lessons for us in those churches as we prepare for the marriage supper, as we pursue a theme of marriage and family of how we can relate to one another and how we can relate to God. So briefly I will go through the messages to these seven churches. They may or may not literally apply, apply to us today 
But one thing we know for sure is that there are critical lessons in them for us to draw as we prepared, as we prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ. And to answer that question that he asked, will I find faith on the earth? Ephesus was a leading city in Asia Minor, typical of what is happening in our cities today. Oh, they didn't have the technology and so on, but it was in a state of decline, Revelation 2, 1. And, you know, they did a good job of distinguishing themselves between the false teachers and truth. They did a good job of that, the church at Ephesus. You can read Paul's letter to the Ephesians, how he wrote, reminding them of salvation by grace through faith in chapter 1. In chapter 3, calling of the Gentiles, or God revealed to the Gentiles their calling. And in chapter 4, talks about unity, which we were just um, talking about up to last week. And he exhorts the church to be united. Why? Jesus Christ is coming. Whether you want to believe it or not, he's coming. Repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then in chapter 5, he exhorts the church to be, or to practice righteous and holy living. He did that. Then in chapter 6, he talks about the sundry duties of a child of God and how to put on the Christian armor to be able to withstand the wiles and the darts from Satan the deceiver. So they did a good job in that regard. And so God praised them. He praised the church for that. But then he chastised them as well. <laughs> Revelation 2.4 He asked. He told them. You have lost your first love. Something is missing. What's the first love? A lot of different theories of what this first love is. It points to basically more than one aspects of relationship with God. We know the golden rule in the Bible. You shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. It's a first love. In other words, you put God first. Anything else above idolatry. You put God first. So if we are building a bride to meet the bridegroom, then naturally, the first love here is way out. We have to make sacrifices to preserve that. We have to compromise some of our attitudes in order to preserve that. If I have a bone to pick at the church, you better pick it with yourself first. And don't come to the church of God with it. Seriously. Because you have to realize that what you're doing could be destructive. And what you're doing could hurt a babe. So you pick it with yourself first. 
But as far as God's first love is concerned, remember that. Remember that. So Ephesus was lacking in some of these things. He says, you have left your first love. And guess what? Repent. Unless you repent, there will be consequences. Unless you repent, there will be consequences. So the bride was forgetting something crucial. That aspect of the bride in Ephesus, that section or that organization. And guess what? He hinted in Revelation 2.5, he would cease to use them for his purpose. He would cease to use them for his purpose. He says, remember therefore from whence you are fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto you quickly and will remove your candlestick. Whatever is shining among you, whatever the attributes are that everyone is gravitating to and say, oh, what a wonderful church. I will remove it out of this place except you repent. Except you repent. Is there a message in that for us today? You make the judgment call. Is there a message in that for us today? As a body, you make the call. All I'm saying, the first love must be to put God first. Love Him with all your being, your heart, and your soul. Matthew 22, 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 2 John 6 says, Love is walking in the truth. Keeping the commandments. Second John 7 says, It urges the church to serve the brethren and to become fellow workers of the truth. Not to pull down. Not to pull down. Someone come to you with a little whisper. What that man is or that woman is, stop there. I don't want to hear it. They come to you with that, you stop them right there. I don't want to hear it. No gossip. That's not good for the body. Christ don't want that. That is destructive. The tongue is an evil member that can cause all kind of fury. Stop it right there. Don't bring it to me. You have, a, you have something to pick with someone? Go straight to the person. No, why are you coming to me? Why are you coming to me about another person? That's how the Bible describes we should be dealing with one another. Remember, we are preparing the bride. We are preparing the bride. <laughs> Fellow workers for the truth. Jesus Christ emphasized humility. See all of that in chapter 5 of Matthew. Love for the neighbor. John 15, 12. The church at Ephesus had the members, but some of them were all for themselves, and they forgot their first love, forgot others in the making as well. 
what kind of bride are we preparing if we live that way? So by the time John wrote Revelation in around 90 AD, 90, between 90 and 95 AD, the church was plagued with division from doctrinal to hearsay to all kind of divisive happenings and occurrences in the bride. So much so that the one at Ephesus get caught up and lost its first love. Are we returning to the first century experience as we prepare the bride in the 21st century? Smyrna, the church in Smyrna, faced Roman persecution for sure. Very prosperous city. God praised them, chapter 2, verse 9, for their works. Good works, sparkling works, noticeable works, admirable works, lots of works going on here. He said, I know your works, your tribulation and your po poverty. But what? You are rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not. Who? You know, I'm a Jew. I'm of the tribe of. I'm a Dan man or Japhet man or Naphtali or. What it is saying here, too? You know, there's a disturbing trend I've observed, too, where people take on all some of these Hebraic um, leanings, and nothing is wrong with that. But what is coming out is a pretense that they're more knowledgeable above others. They have, all, they have exclusivity to the truth of God where no one else have. God told me this and God told me that, so I'm, I'm, I have the preeminence above you. I know more than you. Some of this is what we see coming out here. Some of this is what we see coming out here. They say they are Jews and they are not, but they are from the synagogue. Whew. Strong words again. The synagogue of Satan the devil. Not my words. Read it yourself. Strong words. What I'm seeing here in the, in the first century of the church, brethren, is some traits that we are apt to repeat if we are not doing it already we are apt to repeat remember we are preparing the bride so God praised Smyrna for its works and faithfulness but at the same time he made some notations here. He says, 
he knew the tribulation, the poverty, that they are rich and so on. But he says in verse 10, Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried. You shall have tribulation ten days. A warning. But here's the greater warning. Be thou faithful unto death. Something ringing in the for us again. Back to Matthew. Will I find faith on the earth when I return? Something ringing a bell here, he asked. Be or advise, be thou faithful unto death. Right to your grave. Right to your grave. Be faithful. It should serve us and be inspiring to us when someone dies and we know they have been faithful to the end. We shouldn't really be that caught up about it. You know what you should be caught up about? Yourself. Because you don't know if you're going to make it. You don't know if you're going to drop out. How many people you know who tasted the heavenly gift of God's Holy Spirit and they're right back into Babylon eating vomit? And it happens. So be caught up about yourself. And wonder if you're going to really make it. You're going to be among the faithful. And he says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. He that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. It's a journey of overcoming and overcoming despite the trials. Yes, I feel like my brain is going to blow out with all of these trials I'm going through. Some of us are saying. I feel so bad. I feel so betrayed. I'm not even coming to church. I won't read the Bible. I don't want any of you call me. <laughs> I look at the phone and I see the number coming up. Somebody from church. I don't want to hear anything from you. You're a bunch of hypocrites. What people say, not me. The tribulation. You hear what it says here? Ten times the tribulation that we are going through. So we are going through rough times. But it's not going to get any better for us as we prepare for the supper, the marriage supper. Some people live and, you know, they make all of these resolutions this time of the year. I just read this week that only 7% of those resolutions come true. And they date back to the time of the pagan gods. They make all of these promises to these gods. So it's nothing new. But this time of the year, people are hopeful. You know, 2018 is going to be a better year for me. I have a promotion coming. I just signed my, my new lease for my car or my house and get married this year and so on. It's going to be a good year. But you watch December 31st, what those people, same people are going to say. Brethren, the reality is every year it gets worse. It gets worse in some way, whether politically, economically, socially. You're getting older. The organs are wearing out. I can feel it right now. Some of you can feel it right now. Right? Of course. I, you don't have that energy. I'm climbing the stairs and I realize, you know what? I don't have this energy like two years. I could just run up the stairs. We are winding down. 
And young people, you're bright and energetic and you have all of this energy right now running up and down in the church, right? <laughs> the time coming when you're going to speak like I'm speaking now. <laughs> Better believe it. I remember the days. You have all this energy, you don't want to sleep at night. I don't get much sleep, but I always want to sleep, but can't sleep. That is my problem. Always want to sleep, but just can't sleep. Five hours every night. I don't know how I survive. But don't want to sleep. So things are, 2018, not going to be any better. It's a, it's a fool's promise. A promise is a comfort to a fool anyway, that's what they say. But the reality is we have to make sure our investment in Jesus Christ, the only Savior of the world, is there. And I have that invitation for the marriage supper of the Lamb. So God told them, be faithful unto death. So the lesson from Smyrna is for us to seek to endure despite the persecution that will come. Remember, Jesus said, he who endures to the end shall be saved. The church is being persecuted. I believe the leadership is under attack. So you have to stand up for truth. Remember, it was like that in the first century. Pergamos. The church at Pergamos. Chapter 2, verse 14. You know what the church at Pergamos, the image or the... the experience of that church it was it has been called the compromising church the compromising church you come in here with your little idea you come with yours you come with yours and we try and live together that won't happen can live together but there'll be no peace no peace. Especially when you have an agenda. So Pergamos was a city in a very modern society at the time. Highly literate. Highly literate. Lot of scholars and Greek philosophers, I mean, with training Greek background. They had temples at the same time, dedicated to Zeus, Apollo, Athena. So they had other religions mixing around, like what we see nowadays, you know, plurality. Come with your little God, and you come with your little God, and everybody just live in harmony. You know what Yahweh say? I am a jealous God. That's what he says. I am a jealous God. So when you hear people doing this, they're only mocking the true and living God. But the church of per at Pergamos was warned that it allowed false teachers to put stumbling blocks in the way of the believers. It's along the same train I've been saying. False teachers to put stumbling blocks in the way of the believers because they had a spirit of compromising the truth in the name of tolerance. This is what we see happening in the 21st century. In the name of tolerance, you bring every evil. Because there's no absolute truth. That's what they say. There's no absolute truth. Truth is relative. You have your own truth. I have my own truth. 
So you're not wrong, and I'm not wrong. Well, Isaiah says, the time is coming when you're going to call wrong right and right wrong. So we see that happening right before our eyes. For Pergamos had a compromising spirit. So it posed many challenges for the brethren who have fallen into the trap of these teachings that were alien to the scriptures. The doctrines left behind by the apostolic era was being watered down. Watered down. And God says, you know what? No, Pergamos, you have a lot of correction to do. I have a few things against you, verse 14, because, you, you, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, false teaching, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So all of this was going on. And so, thou hast also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Which I hate. I read, you know, I read this, um, I was doing some, not really a study, but just re- doing some readings about who were the Nicolaitans. And the article was trying to make some link with Santa Claus. They had some good arguments that this concept of this father figure, this God of, with a father figure who would give them gifts and so on and so on. In later time, probably I'll take another look at it. But God says, I hate that. And he says, repent or I will come unto you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You know what's the sword of my mouth? The word of God. Amen. Truth. He's going to fight against them. And he said, you know what? If you have an ear, you better hear. You better hear. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knew, saving he that received it. So Pergamos, the compromising church. We have a lesson to learn in this pluralistic society we live in about compromising the word of God. I want everybody from society to flood the church, so I'm going to water down something. I'm going to change this so that Tom, Dick, and Harry can come in at the expense of God's truth. We have to be careful of that. We have to guard against that. And if you don't mind, you know, you have people coming here with the same attitude and they want to spread it around. You know, you know when you have a, a, a little virus, it, 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 catches, it catches everyone. So just be careful. Thyatira. The church at Thyatira. Who? You know what it was called? The corrupt church. The corrupt church. A set of corrupted leaders. You couldn't distinguish them from what was going on in a corrupt society. It spread into the church. A lot of that is going on now. People say they're not coming to church because it's pure hypocrites. You're a whole bunch of hypocrites. My philosophy is, you come but don't be a hypocrite. Set, set a different agenda. It was known as the corrupt church. And it's straight to the point. These things says the Son of Man, verse 18... God who has his eyes like 
unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know your works and your charity. You know, they had all this charity going for them too, you know. Big, maybe soup kitchen. They probably didn't call them soup kitchen, but something else. Handing out bread to people and so on. To hungry people. So they had all that. Charity and service. And guess what? This is interesting. They had faith too. They were faithful too. So you would think that, you know, they're faithful. So everything is okay. They were faithful. Well, they had patience too. And they had works. The last to be more than the first. But what God says, I have a few things against you. Because you suffer the woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Again, falseness. Falseness. They had the faith, but they allow some woman who claimed to be, you know, I am getting all these revelations here. I have all of these things from God, so you better come and listen to me. That's basically what was going on. Someone seeking the preeminence. That's why I'm always cagey. I'm always very suspicious of someone who have that kind of mentality where everybody come and listen to me because I have new revelation from God. Be careful. This is what Jezebel calls herself a prophetess. They always claim to have these prophecies from God. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repents not. This fornication is not the physical act, you know. This is not what they're talking about. She never repents. So God says, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And he, went, he goes further, I will kill her children. Woo. Those who follow. Those are the children, the one who follow them. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Brethren, as we prepare the bride, these are some realities that can creep up on us unaware if we, are, if we, are not, if we don't have our, our ears and eyes. He that, he that have an ear to hear... Let him hear. We are preparing the bride. We are all about being want to attend or wanting to attend this marriage supper. We have our own marriages that we must cultivate to make sure that it is in line with God's expectation. Don't live a cantankerous life at home and come here dressed up in your three-piece suit and think everything is fine. If you're a leader in the home, you come here with the same mentality that this is the house of God. The, co- the, the, the nice clothes won't, or the big charity, like what Tyre Tyre here was doing, charity and all of these things, as a camouflage. God is not sleeping. He's not sleeping. But he has some harsh words. 
unto you I say, verse 24, and the rest of Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known for the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put you up, I will put upon you none other burden but that which I have come already and hold fast till I come. So God know wow the time is whoop. I was hoping to finish now but I haven't finished with the churches yet. Sardis you know what Sardis was called? The dead church. The dead church. Dead in everything. And we don't want to fall into that pattern. Chapter 3, verse 1, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write these things I said, He that the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works that will have a name that, that thou livest, but what? You're dead. How come? He says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and hold and heard and hold fast. And again the message is repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon you. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. So there were still some among them that God God knew and work with, and they shall walk with me in white. For why? For what? They are worthy. So the wheat and the tears were going together in Sardis. This is going to be the case in most organizations. The wheat and the tears are going to go to the day of harvest. But don't let the tears get you down. You have a mission for God, fulfill the mission. Or else, he says, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not, I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Oh, so the name can be blot out. I will not blot it out, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And if you have an ear to hear... Let us hear. Let us hear. To the angel, to the church in Philadelphia, 7. These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that open, and no man shuts, and shuts, and no man opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou was a little strength, thou has a little strength, and has kept my word, and has not denied my name. Cannot deny that name. Jesus Christ is the only true and living God. Everyone else is wrong. I make no apology. I make no compromise. There's no other name under the whole heaven but the name of Jesus Christus. Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus Christ. The only true God. You have to keep that in your mind. In this society that we live in, trying to water down everything, bringing all kind of gods and say everybody, everybody God, is, God is true. 
Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep you from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world. It's really the hour of tribulation, that's what it's talking about. To try them that dwell upon the earth. So here's a protection for those who are faithful. The church, in the church, that even in the hour of tribulation, he's going to protect us. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take your crown. He that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go no more out and will write upon him the name of my God. Does it say our God? Our God's? No, my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. If you have an ear to hear, let us hear as we prepare for the supper. And to the last church, Laodicea, he says... These things saith the Amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. And guess what, Philadelphia, um, Laodicea? You're neither cold nor hot. You're lukewarm. You are lukewarm. Hmm. I wish you were cold. I wish... You are hot. But you can't be the two of them. You can't be lukewarm. So you have to be one. Get your house in order, Laodicea. Are we preparing for the return of our Lord and Savior who says he wants to find faith among his people? So then because you are lukewarm and you are neither cold nor hot, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Out. I don't want you. You say I'm rich and increase with goods and have no need of nothing. And you know not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and what? You know, although you have all of these things, you still need to repent. Because there's some, there's some, still some shortcomings. So, brethren, the message we are seeing here is that there's no the church. The church is not perfect. The church is not perfect. But God tells us that we have to repent. Philadelphia, who? Some church have that. You want to use that title or? Whatever. Small, small church. Philadelphia is a small church. But, but, they had one attribute that really stood out. They were faithful people. 
faithful people. That is what God is looking for. Faithful people. And you know, we can get a little puffed up when we know that is going on. You know, but God promised them an open door, a door that no man could shut for preaching the gospel. Praise them for their persistence in fulfilling its mission. For holding on without compromise to his precious truth. And so we can read and know that God's protection, as he said in verse, chapter 3 verse 10, will be upon them, especially during the hour of tribulation. I know I might have gotten the churches mixed up here with Philadelphia and Laodicea anyway. Yeah, so that protection is going to be a reality as we see things winding down in the time of the end. Many of us who are faithful will be able to withstand all that is going on around us during these times of tribulation. So the lesson in Philadelphia is simple. Remain faithful to the truth. Love your brethren and don't allow anyone to take your crown. Lukewarmness? No, no, no. That's not in God's expectation. It's a charge. God hates lukewarmness. You may not have the need of anything, Laodicea, but you have the need for God. Sardis and all of the rest that have glorious works and an element of faithfulness, still not enough. So, what I'm deducing from all of what I'm seeing here, you know, is the fact that while the church is not, none of the churches were, were perfect in that sense, that we have to lean on God for everything that we do. That He's coming back to earth expecting a faithful people but from the examples we see in all of these churches is a matter of overcoming to be in a repentant mode all the time knowing that we cannot we cannot be totally perfect and all or no matter how we try we still have some little things that we need to work on but I think as we look at the Passover now and to see what God has done for us by sending his only begotten son to die for us, to atone for our sins, that we can use that to say God's mercy has extended to all of us. It's not what we do because we can't work for salvation. It's not what we do, but it's the attitude we have in all that we do. And God is merciful, as the psalm says, His mercies endures forever. So we are at His mercy in everything that we do. As we wind down, as we begin a new calendar year, we are at His mercy to see another calendar year and to see another day. Another day to appear before Him to worship. It's important. You know, we take it lightly, come here every Saturday to worship. It's another opportunity to appear before the great God. Knowing, brethren, that a supper is ahead. 
Revelation 19.7 John saw and he heard the heavenly multitudes praising God. It's a feast. It's a wedding because the marriage has come. So the concept of marriage supper is better understood in the light of wedding customs in the time of Christ. How important this occasion. It had, you know, it had three major parts. First, the marriage, marriage contract signed by the parents of the bride and the bridegroom. And the parents of the bridegroom himself would pay a dowry to the bride and her parents. This began at what's called the, the betrothal period. Today we call it engagement. So this was the time that Joseph and Mary were in when, it, when, if, when, he was, when she was found with child. And they were like, so, 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 what's going on here? And the second step comes a year later when the bridegroom, accompanied by his male friends, went to the house at midnight and so on, creating a torch, a, a torchlight parade in the, in, in the streets. So all of this have some, you look at, the, type, you look at the, the, the imagery here and you see how important that was, not just a mere ritual. Because when John got the vision of the wedding feast, as would be in the third phase here of the marriage um, preparation. The implication is that the first um, two phases have already taken place and John is now delivering to us what we are going to see or what he saw. The dory was paid down. Jesus' sacrifice was made. His mission was accomplished. He said, it is finished. So the church on earth today is now betrothed to Christ. Ready for the final phase. And when is that final phase? When King Jesus marches on the scene with thousands of his angels as a conquering king to overturn the kingdoms of this earth, to set up his glorious kingdom, and then he's going to say, come my people to this marriage supper of the Lamb. That is what the imagery that faces us now. So, brethren, there's a lot. There's a lot to think about as we reflect on this great supper of the Lamb that is coming, that the whole earth and those who are being called now into the body that we take seriously. What's going to happen? Revelation 19. I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls of flying, that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, the flesh of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men both free and bond, both small and great. Verse 19 says, verse 9 says, And he says unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. It's true. It's true. In chapter 21, verse 9, John says, Then one of the seven angels with the seven bowls full of the eleven seven last plagues, and those last plagues are not for us, but it's going to wreak havoc on wickedness on the earth when it's cleansed. God, John says, Come 
I will show you the bride. What is he talking about? The bride, who is the bride? It's the church. Come. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. The wife of the Lamb. Wow! 19.7 Let us rejoice and celebrate and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. So the question for us today are we getting ready with the bride for the bridegroom? May God bless our efforts, our attitudes in what we do, what we say, what our intentions are, as we make our own little contribution through what God has given us as marriage and family to help prepare the bride for the bridegroom.